And we are live. Welcome to the Overcomers Initiative podcast, where our aim is to help you or to equip you with a plan and resources to help you overcome the power of pornography in your life and to encourage you with stories and tips from those who have overcome. I'm your host, Phil King. This is a very special episode for us today here at the Overcomers Initiative. As uh, one, we're recording on Thanksgiving Day. So from the Overcomers Initiative to you and yours, happy Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas. This will be the last episode of the 2023 calendar year. We'll come back strong in January, hopefully with a couple other more resources to improve quality of the podcast. So special podcast episode. This is also the first episode where we are recording in front of a live studio audience. I am joined today by my brother, Caleb King. Say hello, Caleb. Hello. Caleb is in for Thanksgiving break from the Crown College of the Bible in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're happy to have him in studio with us today. And uh, this is also our first ever interview, and this is something I'm super excited about. It has been the goal, a a goal of mine to do interviews with different people and such, and I'm very excited to have our guest with us today. Our guest's name is Kenny King. He is the pastor of the Lighthouse Baptist Church on the island of Guam, and before that, he was the assistant pastor for Tony Finney at the First Baptist Church of Conesty, was the music director there for, I think, over 20 years, so we're excited to have him on He also has the very distinct honor and really the privilege of being my dad. So, uh, Caleb, I think that makes him your dad too, right? Right? So uh, I think there's only four people in the world that that can call this man dad. So, dad, we're happy to have you on. Welcome to the Overcomers Initiative. How are you this evening? I'm good. I, I do need to correct you. Uh, it is no longer Thanksgiving here. It's actually the 24th. Here. Oh, that's so, right. So it's, it's Black Friday. Over there, isn't late, it? so far as I'm concerned. Well, we're not recording over there. Well, I am. Well, <laughs> you're not the host. Nobody cares. <clears throat> but, yeah, so uh, the reason I wanted to have you on is I feel like you have a, uh, a pretty – cool and unique. Uh, you you grew up and you've come of age and you've lived in a f- fairly unique time in history. Uh, when you were growing up, there was no internet. You were, I think, coming into adulthood. I actually know you probably were an adult uh, getting into your career uh, when the internet began to become a thing. And you've been able to sit back and kind of watch as it has become what it is today. And in all of that, you have been raising sons. You have four boys, no girls, unfortunately for mom. I know she wouldn't have it any other way. But I'm, I'm excited to get into this and uh, I'd like to talk about, you know, what it was like for you growing up. Obviously, our subject is um, pornography and maybe we can go into a little bit of you know, were you ever exposed? What was the medium for that? How common was it among your friend group? Did that change uh, over the advent of the internet and what it was like uh, growing or raising sons in that environment? But uh, 
first of all, by way of introduction, if you would kind of uh, explain for the listening public kind of who you are, where you grew up, what your life was like back then, uh, kind of life experiences you've had. I know you did some time in the Navy and uh, uh, salvation testimony, I suppose. Sure. So I was born and raised mostly in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We did spend uh, several years in Denver. Uh, But uh, back in the... 70s and 80s is where I did most of my growing up. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's uh, interesting to know that the uh, uh, pornography that was available uh, in the 70s was really just magazines. Uh, there were, uh, I guess, Super 8 films, but uh, what was available to most people was just magazines. Uh, and you had to purposely go somewhere to get them and uh, you risk being seen getting them and of course I know a lot of people didn't mind but that was kind of the uh, atmosphere if you will Uh, and and during that time uh, growing up uh, where we grew up or at least where I grew up and my brother uh, William uh, was uh, kind of a rough area there grew up in Albuquerque New Mexico mostly joined the Navy I guess in 87 it was, uh, met my best friend, married his sister, and, uh, and here you guys are. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like you <laughs> do. It wasn't until, go ahead. Uh, just like, I met, I met a fellow, we became friends, and I married his sister, you know, kind of, kind of like you do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't until I got out of the Navy, uh, that <laughs> I, uh, got saved. I got out in uh, October of 91. I was saved in February, late February of 92. And uh, just uh, the Holy Ghost did exactly what he said he would do. He came to convince us of our sin and to convict us of that sin. He did that. And uh, so that night, I, I basically I told God, you're right. I'm wrong. I choose Jesus. And uh, so then in church ever since it's never really been a, an argument or a problem and uh, god has been gracious to us uh as since well when i got out of the navy chased your mama into south carolina where she lived stayed there got married had kids and remained there <clears throat> until uh july or really for me november of uh, 2018 uh, stayed in church there at First Baptist of Conesty, uh and then came over here to Guam. And so that's kind of the, the story. I've been pastoring this church now for just over five years. Right on. Yeah, it. goodness, it. at some points it, it, it feels like it seems longer than that, but then at some points it seems like it's been much shorter than that. So it's it's kind of wild. And what I think was really cool about that whole situation was being able to maintain some level of contact. Well, we all, through the internet and like phone calls and texts, we can maintain a level of contact, but being able to be there in person uh, a little bit more, because for the listening public, I live down in Georgia now, but I live in within a few hours of proximity. So being able to go back and forth to Conesty and then seeing the Aldridge family now move, uh, brother Stephen has taken over, uh, dad's position there. Uh, 
And listening to their stories, dad began to feel like he needed to go to Guam about the same time that Brother Aldridge felt like maybe he needed to come to Conesty. And just watching the transition become just as smooth as it was, was really awesome to watch. It was really cool to watch God work through this whole thing and make sure that everybody involved was taken care of and had exactly what they needed and that it was as smooth as uh, you couldn't plan it better than it happened. And that was just really cool to watch. Uh, so yeah, the Lord was faithful to, uh, to, well, and we have to remember something. I think a lot of people forget this, that you and I are stewards of what God has given us. Right. Uh, the church here is not mine. Uh, I love my pastor uh, fiercely, but uh, First Baptist of Conesty is, is not his. We're, we're stewards. Right. And those of us that sit the pews, we are stewards. And as long as we steward well, and uh, try to take care of that which God has given us. It's amazing that, to see what God does yeah, as we work together with him. It's his church, and he takes care of it. Right. Right. Well, um, I guess without further ado, we'll just go ahead and hop into the the real meat of this uh, interview. Uh the first question that I have is, have you ever struggled with uh, porn or sexual sin? And uh, if so, to what extent? So the first <laughs> exposure I had, to be quite honest with you, I cannot remember it. It was before I was five. Wow. Um, but what happened is probably about when I was 10, uh, 9 or 10, uh, on my way to the bus stop, a friend of mine had a pornography magazine and he gave it to me. And what's interesting is I look back on that. I, I, I wasn't really, I, I knew how the female body was put together. I knew the components of the female body, but there was such an allurement to it. Uh, <clears throat> and you know, a curiosity, uh, and that moment began for me uh, what I thought was a completely normal existence. Uh, from that point, my buddy Jerry got, I don't know how he was getting his magazines, but he got a steady flow of magazines. And uh, so we'd just hang out and we would act like men, you know, like manly men uh, looking at these women in these magazines and that basically started it to me uh, in earnest <clears throat> and then when I probably now that, that that was on a mainstay of my life uh, we moved from that area that kind of settled down in terms of pornography it just wasn't available to me anymore but the the change in my mind you know there is a a fundamental uh, rewiring a a chemical alteration of your physical brain uh, when you stay on drugs. And what a lot of people don't really understand is that pornography is a drug to your brain. Yep. And you get addicted. And it changes the way you react. It changes the way you view things. You, uh, you talk to a drug addict, and you know if they need a fix, they are different. Mm -hmm. uh, the best time that you can probably talk to a drug addict is probably just after they've had their fix, after the big part of the high is gone, and they can begin to talk normal to you. 
same thing's true with a, a, a pornography addict, sex addict, whatever you want to call it. So <clears throat> it changes your mind. So you view people differently. You objectify women. Uh, and it just, it dominates your thinking. One of the other things that people don't understand is that you will spend the vast, vast, vast majority of your time thinking about uh, girls, thinking about women. And that in itself messes up your thinking. Yeah, you become really uh, a really bad uh, example of a man. You're just yeah. a horrible man when that's all you can think about. So mm-hmm. uh, that takes me into the Navy. Now, of course, I thought I was normal. And in the Navy, pornography was rampant. Uh, I guess it's still a little bit today. Uh, but the, the military arms, the armed services are so co-ed. I mean, there's still a vast majority of men, right? Mm-hmm. But there's still a lot of women there. And so I guess a lot of that is tapered in the way it's available. Well, obviously with the internet. But yeah. when I was in, if you did not have a magazine of some sort, if you did not have some sort of uh, 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 pornographic paraphernalia, uh, you were seen as effeminate. You know, I think that <clears throat> we didn't think much about those guys that didn't have this manliness about them. And we thought it was manly to be uh, involved in that. And obviously we were, again, our thinking was completely messed up. Yeah. So, you know, that, uh, that Pretty much my whole time in the Navy, that is the way that it was. In fact, it, it was so common that it wasn't even something I majored on. It's, that's how common it was. It just it wasn't anything that I majored on like it was when I was young. Mm-hmm. You know, that consumed my mind. But, I mean, it had been with me at that point daily so that it wasn't really, it wasn't something I thought about really. And it didn't really affect me, really, until I was married. It's kind of like the uh, the devil had sowed a seed, and it took a while to germinate and grow. And I think uh, I think he I think that is a a very active plan of his, a very powerful plan of his, uh, mm-hmm. because when. When you get married, of course, you would think that's, that fixes everything. Nope. And it hardly fixes you. <laughs> <It's simple. laughs> that's, that's exactly right. I grew up with that. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm, I'm going to kind of go back to a couple of things, but I, it, it's wild to me that you're saying your first exposure was before five. And the one that you can remember is even before 11 years old. That's, I was doing some a little bit of some statistical research the other day, and the average age they they, they did a study they polled I think about thirteen hundred teens from thirteen to seventeen, and the vast majority of them are saying that it was they their first exposure was around twelve. The average was age twelve. I think it was fifteen percent said it was age ten or younger. So that's that's wild to me that you're saying your first exposure was at five, and that's, I mean, and yeah, like how does a, a it, it's crazy to me because a young mind is just not, it's not prepared for that. 
I mean, you, you're not ever going to be prepared for that, but definitely not. Like, you have no emotional maturity to be able to deal with the the feelings and the emotions and the hormones that's just going to start. And it, at that, I, I goodness, that, that's crazy to me. And then I 100% agree with uh, the statement that it rewires your brain. In fact, um, there's a fella named Andrew Huberman. He's been on the Joe Rogan podcast a bunch. He's a neuroscientist, and he's been involved with some research. He's spouting off statistics about all this. But what we're learning is that, you know, and you're exactly right. The porn is just like any other drug, and it it works just like any other drug. You get this – and I went into this a little bit in a previous episode. I don't remember which one, but the the dopaminergic response – the release of dopamine that your that your brain gives you when you view pornography really does raise your your dopamine baseline. And dopamine, for those listening that don't know, is, is your feel good chemical. So when you do something that makes you feel good, if you're into lifting weights and you lift weights and you feel tired, your brain will give you a dopamine a dopamine hit. And we're we all have a base level of dopamine that keeps us you know, not depressed. But when you, when you begin to do, when you begin destructive habits like smoking cigarettes, drinking alcohol, watching porn, doing drugs, you get a dopamine hit that goes above what you get from healthy habits. And the more you do that, the more these channels are cut into your brain and it, it cuts out the decision-making process of your brain. So your prefrontal cortex is where all your logic happens. Slowly but surely, that prefrontal cortex gets cut out of the equation. Your body says, I feel bad. And you feel bad because your dopamine response, go, your levels go high, higher than they are naturally. And then when that high fades it plummets below what it is naturally. And so now you're having to get watch that porn, do those drugs just to get back to normal, what would be a normal baseline. So your your body begins to feel, I feel bad, I want to feel good. Your brain automatically knows because those neuro, neural pathways are so gouged into your brain now that you your brain automatically knows, I feel bad, Porn makes me feel good. I'm going to go watch porn. And your your logic, your decision-making process, you don't even make the decision because all that's been cut out. So 100% with you there. The, the, the availability, it's, it's interesting that you said you moved. Availability kind of went away. And so your desire, I, maybe, maybe I'm saying it wrong, but your desire kind of tapered down a little bit just because it wasn't there and how are you going to get it? I think I, I worry. I'm scared for kids coming up today because what I'm seeing from the numbers suggests that the average age of first exposure keeps getting younger and younger. And I mean, young kids, younger than 10 years old, they're, they're getting their hands on these smart devices and tablets and phones. And a lot of the times their parent, I I don't know if their parents don't think about it or if they just don't care, but they're giving these small children unfettered access to the internet 
where they find this stuff either by accident or on purpose. Maybe they begin to just a curiosity. That's that's largely how I got started was just out of curiosity. But now these these young kids have this unfettered access to where it's available 24-7. And unlike uh, a Coke addict, you can if you're a porn addict, your dealer is in your pocket and you carry them with you every everywhere you go. So I, I worry. I'm very scared for this up up and coming generation. And that's that's part of the reason why I started this podcast is because it is it, it's so prevalent now. You don't like back in the day you mentioned you had to go get the magazines or the videos like you had to physically leave your current location, go to another location, obtain the stuff, take it back to your your place and act on it there. This stuff nowadays, it, it's like it hunts you down. You don't even have to go looking for it. It's everywhere. And I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like just on daytime television nowadays, if if what is on daytime TV now aired back when you were growing up, I, I wonder if there wouldn't have been a public uproar because the, we be, I, as a society, we've become so desensitized and so calloused to this stuff. And finally, there's, there's, a, there's a few that are waking up to the, goodness, the horrible detriments of using this stuff. Not, not, that's not even getting into the whole how this stuff is produced and the human trafficking that goes on to make this stuff. And the whole, the whole shebang is just a, a nasty, ugly business. And I, I, I worry. Well, I think one of the things I think, uh, that'll, it may be a restating of the obvious, but our, when we look at this, you need to understand that this is not an accident. Right. This is not just the normal process of man evolving. Um, no, there is an intent. There is, an, there is a plan behind this. And for the last 50 years, uh, this nonsense has been worked into what we think of as the most innocent of uh, things, like Disney's uh, Pinocchio or uh, Snow White. Uh, these concepts have been just so subliminally and so masterfully placed into our, you know, American ideal. Mm-hmm. So that now things are such that we're uh, basically there, the pornography, or at least the uh, the lightly veiled aspect of pornography I mean it's it's freely absorbed mm-hmm. mamas and daddies let their kids watch it in a movie uh, it, it's a family affair you know the sting or the stigma of pornography has all but left American society if it weren't for the conscience that God gave to every man and woman uh we would be completely out of the banks. We already are out of the banks, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But uh, we wouldn't have an effort by, you know, uh, whomever is doing it, the, these small groups, these, these men and women who are trying to raise awareness and combat 
this ideology because pornography is an American ideology. Granted, it's all over the world, but you know we have to own it. Mm-hmm. it it's it's who we are. It's what we've allowed, uh, and it has been it so much a part of our of what it means to be an American. It's frightening. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> Scary stuff. Well, moving moving on. I know we're we're kind of on a, a bit of a time schedule, but uh, so you said. Uh, in in the lead up to all this, that porn feud was just so normal, it didn't really become an issue until you were married. So how how long? Well, I guess first we should ask what what was your motivation to quit? Was it was it you 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 got saved and now through the sanctification process of the Holy Spirit, you began to realize I need to re- I really need to quit this. And maybe on top of that, like, this is really going to hurt my marriage. I don't want to hurt my marriage. Was it like a, a bundle of things? What what really was your your motivation yeah, for all this? It was, obviously, I'm a born-again Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there really is the Holy Ghost. And he really does take up a residence within our spirit. And... The conviction was just overwhelming. But I also didn't want to hurt my wife yeah. because I knew even at that time that this is not her fault. Now, I have to stop there and, and back up because so many men will blame their wife. Yeah. Uh, their wife is not meeting their needs. And so <clears throat> he basically thumbs his nose at his wife and says, this is your fault. And while there is an understanding to be had there, uh, at its root, pornography is all about selfish self. Mm -hmm. Me taking care of me. I am the first and primary person in my world. I'm the first and primary person in my life. And I knew I couldn't blame my wife for that. Uh, and it wasn't her fault, and it wasn't fair to her. Yeah. And those two things, the convicting work of the Holy Ghost within me and the fact that I, it was not fair to my wife yeah. uh, kind of brought this thing to, to where it needed to be dealt yeah. with. Can I uh, interject real quick and just say that on on the, yeah, it's not your wife's fault and people going back and saying, well, my wife's not meeting my needs, I, and I'll, I'll I'll share the sentiment, yes, stating the obvious, but so much porn is is so fake. It's it's absolutely so fake. The with video editing, I I promise you, the girls on the videos are not that pretty in real life. I guarantee it. The whole scenarios that these people set up, it's it's fake. It's false, and if you are in the position to where this real life human doesn't meet your needs because she's not pretty enough. Well, dude, you live in a fantasy land because nobody is. And there's a there's a there's another podcast. It's called Relatable. My my wife kind of got me listening to this. It's uh, Relatable with Ali Beth Stuckey. No, I have no contact with this podcast whatsoever, but. She has an episode, uh, a couple of episodes, with this fella who 
I think he heads up Exodus Cry. It's all about the delving in and uh, rooting up the human trafficking type uh, underbelly of all this stuff. And just on that note, anywhere that you're getting porn online has some ties to human trafficking. So I, there's no such thing. In fact, the, the episode is why ethical porn doesn't exist. Really great episode, but th- yeah. But he goes into this thing where it's such the whole thing is so selfish and objectifying. Give it a listen. I can't remember what exactly was said. What I, the bits that I do remember, I'll just let you go listen to it for yourself. But the the whole thing is just so selfish and fake. Well, that was my uh, main motivation. Um, Now, I think it's important for people listening. So you need to understand that uh, when I broached the subject with my wife, uh, I was really desiring her understanding and her forgiveness. Now, because men and women are different, Mm -hmm. just I, I don't know how many people properly understand that, but <laughs> very different. Uh, I thought that my confession to her would do for her what it did for me. And it basically just, uh, okay, it put that, it, I checked that off the list. I can move on to the next thing. Not so much for her. Uh, she had to then begin to unwrap her mind around this, understand what it meant, somehow work through the betrayal because it's an affair of the mind. Yeah. I don't know if people fully understand that, but it is an affair of the mind. Um, you know, I, I wasn't physically going out uh, to these other women, but in my mind I was. And of course, Jesus said, if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. Yep. So, I mean, that, that offense to my wife was very real. And she had to work through that, and I was not really prepared for her response. I had not thought about that. And so that began a process of its own. And you would think that that would be the beginning of a wonderful, beautiful thing, the beginning of a road to enlightenment, and it was not. It was quite the opposite, because I didn't know how to work through that with her. And of course, it's my sin that we're dealing with. So I'm the guilty one. And I think a lot of women uh, make the mistake of, you know, it was my husband's fault. He's to blame. And all of a sudden that husband becomes the whipping boy uh, for this sin. And granted, it's his sin. He he has to own it. Uh, You know, you have to own the sin. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have to be the one responsible for making those things right. And yet at the same time, um, there has to be some general understanding that, uh, number one, the husband or the man came forward and, and wants to try to make this right. You know, there is some repentance there pushing all this. And then there must be an understanding of, of the general uh, fact that this stuff is everywhere. Okay. I would love to say that I have turned my head every time I saw a beautiful woman 
And I would love to tell you that from that point to this point, I've never gazed upon a woman and thought, wow, she looks fantastic. But that would be a lie. Okay? Mm-hmm. And again, because men and women are different. I hate to go back to this, but it is very true. Men are incredibly visual, uh, visually based. Uh, women are really more emotionally based. Uh, at least it is that way in our home. And so it took a little bit of work to get through that. That was really difficult. Uh, but that's kind of my story and how that we began to make this right, how that I made my confession to my wife, uh, and kind of the struggle that we had after that. Uh, I, I do want to say this. The most important thing that happened, okay, criticize everything else, all you want to. But the most important thing that happened was I said something. I did yep. not remain silent. Yep. And I think, I'm, I'm convinced uh, that when men and women today who are, uh, you know, stuck in this pit called pornography, the way out begins by opening your words to that person, and you need to confess. Yep. You need to. Uh, you need to turn the light on. Uh, otherwise, nothing happens, right? And when nothing right. happens, everything stays the same. Cry all you want to, mourn all you want to, uh, you know, kill uh, yourself internally all you want to, but until you say something. Nothing will change. If you have any hope to change anything, you're going to have to take a chance and speak and confess and, you know, just take what comes your way. Yep. It's, it, it, it's an exciting time to live. Yeah. Because it will be. <laughs> it's interesting that you, uh, that you said that because my first episode, I had a, a three or four or however many E's listed out because, you know, Baptists alliterate everything. And uh, I think the first E was end shame by confessing the sin, bringing it to light. Because shame hides, you, you have to hide it. You're, you're ashamed, so you have to hide. And if you confess and now you have nothing to hide... Well, then shame doesn't really, I mean, you can feel bad because you're in this position, but you're not having to hide anything, and your life just gets so much better. You will not make any traction, you will not gain any ground until you say something. Bring it out of the darkness, bring it into the light. This stuff is like mold. It grows in the dark. You need to bring the light in. You need to confess it. And only then and only then you will begin to make progress towards overcoming. And I, 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 this, this know, can't I mean, be overstated. I had a friend in middle school, and uh, we were really good friends. And his, he had a single mom, mm-hmm. uh, and it was just him and her. And uh, staying the night at his house was <laughs> interesting because... She came out and told us, she goes, look, we have a roach problem. Don't go into the bathroom at night. Actually, she didn't say she had a roach problem. She just said, I don't want you using the bathroom at night. Okay? Use it now before you go to bed. Uh, well, as what happened, I woke up. I had to go to the bathroom. 
So I went in the bathroom and I turned on the light and I promise you there were, my goodness, thousands of roaches. Oh, wow. I was like, well, I still got to go. <laughs> so I went. And uh, yeah. it, then I was like, okay, well, that makes sense why she didn't want anybody. Uh, but the, the the word picture there or the, um, the, the, uh, the way that that unfolded has always stuck with me because I turned on the light and immediately those roaches shattered. Yep. They covered the floor and then I turned on the light and then all of a sudden there was room to walk. Mm-hmm. Right? They were hiding because of the light. That filth will hide. It will, it will find a way to get away when you turn on the light. And uh, the, the overwhelming relief when you turn on the light, okay? Mm-hmm. And then you begin to understand that, hey, everybody has roaches. You're not the only one. Yep. Because one of the devil's greatest tools in this pornography thing is shame, the hiding that comes with it, and the isolation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a there is a book. It's called An Affair of the Mind. I think every man who has this problem needs to read that. Uh, it's an affair of the mind. I uh, I have it right here. As a matter of fact, if I can find it. But one of the things you learn is that uh, <clears throat> you can be completely cut off from your wife and your children, uh, that shame will so close you up, it will so hide you from the rest of your family that you will lose them even as you sit with them in the living room. You will absolutely lose them. Uh, I can't find it here, obviously, because I'm looking for it, but uh, (laughs) it's called An Affair of the Mind, and it is one of the best books uh, that you can read to really give you an idea of how deadly pornography is, even with a wife that's willing to work with you to overcome that. Mm -hmm. The shame will kill you. The hiding will kill you. It'll kill your family. You'll lose them all. You won't even be able to talk to them. I'm glad you you touched on that. I'm glad we were able to hit on that like we did uh and i will go ahead and put a link to that i'll find a link for it on amazon or wherever it is i'll put a link to that in the show notes if you're interested uh, there will be a link down in the show notes if you'd like to go ahead and get that book if it's on audible i'll put that there too um but yeah that, that was good uh moving on so when when you began your journey to overcoming was the internet around? Was that a source of pornography for you? Was it around, but like, like nobody really used it as much? Like the whole like HTML dial-up stuff. Like what? What was what was that scene like? <laughs> well, it was definitely <clears throat> dial-up. Uh, that was in the day of fourteen four uh, baud on your modem. Uh, then 28, and then uh, 56K. Uh, there was 36 in the middle of all that. 
So yeah, it was all dialogue. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to date you and I guess just demonstrate how far we've come. I have no idea what any of what you just said means. I know it has something to do with computers and internet, <laughs> but. So this was probably, uh, the internet got started in earnest, probably around 94, late 94, uh, early 95. There was a web browser called WOW, W-O-W. Hmm. It was the first web browser we ever saw. And it was uh, after that, of course, uh, AOL became the de facto uh, and porn sites were really just getting started. Uh, and so, uh, and you had to have a computer. Yeah. We didn't have cell phones. Well, we had, we had pagers and there were satellite phones. Okay. But cell phones were altogether different. Uh, cell phones didn't really come out in earnest for us until about 96, 97. Yeah. And then it was all about the Motorola, the StarTag or Sartek, <clears throat> but a smartphone where you could watch 3G video, right, didn't come out until the 2000s. Yeah, I don't... And I want to say, ugh, my first really good cell phone, like, uh, they had the, the, there were these PDAs from Motorola, and then I had a Motorola Q, and, uh, but it wasn't great for video, yeah. Uh, but obviously things got way better in terms of cell phone speed and quality. Yeah. I don't think the whole I smartphone thing. That I remember the, the and this I, this was when the iPhone 4 came out and that, that was the new thing. And that wasn't until I was in high school. Now, I'm sure that like the, the iPhone 1, 2, 3, they were already out. So it was probably around middle school when when I was in middle school anyway. So this would have been... 2010, 2012. I know I was in high school in 2014. Wow, I was a junior. So yeah, 2010, 2012, somewhere in there is probably when all this really started. Because I remember my my first phone was one of mom's old one in old phones, and you had to purchase internet. Like it had the connection. I don't know what you could have done with it because obviously I wasn't allowed to get that, and I didn't want mama getting charged and then getting yelled at. But yeah, so, goodness, we've grown in leaps and bounds just in my own lifetime. So, internet wasn't really an, an option for you as far as porn goes, I, I guess. Right, and if I was going to avail myself of it, uh, I had to be alone, Yeah, right? Mom had to leave the house, and uh, and believe it or not, in all of that, I'm, I'm still a homebody. Mm-hmm. I don't really like going out. Um, I like being home. I like being with my wife. I like being with my family. Yeah. So I'm not really sure how I made all that work. Uh, I I guess, you know, you could use it at work, uh, but that was always sketchy. Yeah. Uh, So what's really sad about men and women, of course, who are uh, stuck in that pit of pornography is they will go to extreme lengths. Oh, yeah. Usually they they're late. They stay after work late. They stay at work rather late. Uh, they'll miss dinner. Uh, they'll come home extra late. They'll blame it on whatever you know. Pick any lie. It'll do. Who yep. cares? Uh, but you know, the, whatever excuse they need to come up with, they just stay late. And that's kind of how you had to do it back then. Yeah. At least for me, because I didn't have my little home office. 
or anything like that. So I, I, I can definitely attest to going to the extreme measures because I've, I, I guess I've been fortunate because I grew up in a, in a household that was faithful to church that had strong Christian values. And I mean, yeah, the internet was around and in pretty much full swing, but I didn't have really a whole lot of access. And the, the few times I did have access uh, via mom's computer that got left open by accident, I'm sure I always got caught. So yeah, it was, but growing up, getting kind of more out on my own, I've, and that's, that's, that's part of the reason. In fact, that's the biggest reason why uh, in this plan that I put forth, there, I go for a more scorched earth take to where you, you like your phone, your smartphone that you watch YouTube and browse the internet on. No, you can, you can make calls and you can send texts and that's it. And then anything else outside of that, like Covenant Eyes goes on everything. If you end up using your Xbox browser to access porn, well, you're putting your Xbox up for a long time. Uh, for me, I took our Roku down. I put our TV in the closet. I gave our Roku to my sister-in-law because they didn't have one and they used it for a while. And I, I will say I got a lot more productive and we didn't miss it. I didn't miss it at all. So the, the extreme measures thing. Uh, I think I, it'll help you. Yeah, I think it'll help you along, right along with that. So my first uh, time going to your mama uh, was we lived uh, – you know, we, we did not live close to the church at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love to tell you that that was the end of it. But <clears throat> the problem of pornography is not the problem. You know, pornography is not the problem. Yeah. The problem is not the problem. Uh, pornography is just a means to an end. Pornography is a way that you act out. Pornography is an avenue for you to be selfish. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, pornography is a way of validation. It's false, okay, but most men will accept it. So there came another time when we uh, lived really close to the church that uh, this thing was becoming, uh, wow, it was still a problem. And I was like, what is going on with this? And so, again, brought it up to your mama. Uh, and your mama forced me to have to be a little bit more vocal. And so I actually went to our pastor. Hmm. And uh, uh, our pastor was so, you know, I thought this was going to bowl him over. I thought it was going to knock him back. And, of course, it was very unwelcome news. Yeah. Uh, and yet he handled it wonderfully. Uh, he didn't, uh, you know, porn addicts are always afraid that, that they're going to get blown out of water. Didn't happen. Uh, instead, uh, my pastor pointed me to another man for counseling. Counseling through pornography is a little bit different uh, because it's so secret. You can have it and be such a functioning addict yep. and nobody else has to. It's so secret. You can hide it so well. You can't hide meth. You can't hide uh, alcohol like that. You can't, all these other things, that they require uh, something, extra effort. 
right? You have to go in it. I, it's so hard to hide that. Mm-hmm. You can hide it, but not as well as you can hide porn. So counseling that is, is very different, and yet it's the same in process because it is pornography is like any drug. Yep. So one of the things, the first thing that uh, we learned, and your mom and I went there together, uh, and I will always be thankful for the gentleman that we worked with. Uh, he told me this idea of radical amputation. And every time I think back to that, I'm like, it's an amazing statement, and it is amazingly effective. Yep. Radical amputation. Those things that are hurting you, get rid of them. Those things that are tempting, get rid of them. Uh, it's an amazing thing. Yeah. Today we live in a world over If I forget my wallet, I'm not too worried about that, okay? Because I have my phone. But if I forget my phone, that's a problem. Yeah, it, it's funny you say so, that because I saw I read somewhere that they did a study where most people like if they leave their wallet at home they don't care, but the moment they leave their and this was right when smartphones were becoming a thing and they said well if people leave their smartphone they it doesn't matter if they're ten minutes like thirty minutes away they'll turn oh, right around and go get it absolutely yeah I've got an app on my phone for pretty much every site that I have to log into uh, clean sites obviously yeah. Uh, I have an authenticator for it. I have, you know, that. there's just, I have been sitting at my laptop and instead of using my laptop, I'll use my cell phone simply because the app is so much easier to use. Yeah. You know, I'm just so used to it. So yeah. Yeah. Anyways, the idea of getting rid of those things and you know what, if getting rid of some of those things hurts, take the pain. Yeah. No. That's kind of the <laughs> Yeah. That's that's really the basis when I when I first uh, the when I came up with this plan, right? I w- I was at work. I was building barns at the time. And I I was going through that cycle. You know, I I knew I needed to stop and I knew and it would I'd I'd be all right for a while and then it would raise its head again and then I I I'd ride the wave. Man, it was up and down and up and down and I was up for longer periods sometimes sometimes I was down for longer periods and I just finally got so sick of it and reared its ugly head at work came back felt terrible about it and I'm thinking why in the world can't I stop it seems so impossible to stop what's wrong and I was listening to the, the Dave Ramsey show. And for those that don't know anything about Dave Ramsey, he's a finance guru that gives people a plan to get out of debt and build wealth. And it hit me, you know, they have their baby steps and they mentioned something about the baby steps and all of a sudden the light bulb goes off. And I think, I don't have a plan. Of course it's not working, right? Because if you, if you fail the plan, you're basically planning to fail. And I had been going to the gym. I, when I was out, I worked in Albuquerque, and I would go to the gym out there, and I knew like I, I had to have a plan going into the gym. This is much more important than that. Why would I not put a plan in place now? And the verse that popped into my head immediately was the from Matthew 5, 28 and 29, where Jesus says, if, you're, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. And I, I 
and I've said this, I think, in my first podcast episode, where I don't think that, that the Lord is telling us to literally cut off our hands and pluck out our eyes, but the idea of that radical amputation. And honestly, like, like you're saying, sitting at your laptop using your phone, we've become so attached to these darn devices that to suggest that somebody cut themselves off from all of that it may as, you may as well be telling them to cut off cut off their hands. So it, it's it's definitely a scripture backed principle there, and I, I I definitely agree that we would do well to follow that. And if and I think too, yeah. along with that, I think people have to be they have to be aware. You know, they're they're going to look at they're going to listen to this and maybe think I, I can't do that. No, you can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you take a, a young man st- sticking in boot camp, uh, uh, and he's looking at an obstacle and he doesn't think he can do it, you know what? You really can. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you some pain. Uh, but here's here's the truth. I think you can apply this truth to every aspect of your life. You're going to have pain. It's up to you to determine what kind of pain you have. You can have the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. Yep. And most pornography users know the pain of regret. The pain of discipline is almost too much to bear. But I promise you, once you jump into that pool, once you turn on the light and, and you begin this process and you, you begin to cut off those things that offend uh, you'll find the pain of discipline is so much easier to bear than the pain of regret. Right. Because the pain of discipline gives you, uh, you know, it, it, it gives you opportunity for today and tomorrow. But the pain of regret happens and there is no opportunity. It's done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. So uh, a lot of folks would be helped. Yeah. Think of it that way. Yeah. Real quick, um, what can you, do you remember? Like, what, what what were some things that you had to cut out during this whole process? Just as a, a quick example. Right. So my um, job required twenty four seven access. I had to have a cell phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so one of the things I did uh, was basically cut off. Well, at the time, we didn't have all the apps that we have today. There, TikTok did not exist. Yeah. You know, uh, Instagram, all that stuff was did not day. exist. Facebook wasn't even out at the time. Uh, but I still had to have a cell phone. Still had to be 24-7. Uh, and so what I did have, well, I take that back, Phil. I think there might have been some uh, social apps. But I wasn't really using any of those. Yeah. Okay? Uh Everything that I was doing was web-based. Nothing was in an app. Uh, and so the thing that I had to add, and rather than cut off, was I added uh, filtering with the Covenant Eyes. Now, Covenant Eyes in the beginning was easily defeated. Yep. Um, uh, but it's a much more robust um, tool today. Uh, and, you know, it some of the... So what it does is it takes snapshots of your uh, activity on your phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, when you open up a Word document on your cell phone or a PowerPoint or some kind of spreadsheet, anything like that, it, it, it knows what's being looked at. It doesn't, it doesn't bother with that. But anything that's coming over an app, like YouTube or Facebook or Instagram or whatever you're using, okay, mm-hmm. it will begin to record that, especially any you, uh, 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 internet usage. Yep. It'll take a picture. And it will store that picture, and uh, it will give you a, a report however often you want the report, and it will show you what you've been looking at. Yep. So that can be that can be very powerful. Yep. And that's but, that uh, leads into the sorry that that leads into the importance of just having that support structure around you because if it's just you getting the report, I mean, yeah, you might be able to you'll you'll block some of the more like the like the porn hubs and, and the big porn sites, like you won't be able to get there. Um, but if it's just you getting the reports, there are, there are ways around that. So it, it's, it's definitely very important to have somebody else w- looking at these reports. Like my wife gets the reports. My, my mother-in-law gets the reports. Like it, I have a, structure around me of I basically my internet usage is a glass house at this point and so it it really like because even even today there are there are ways around the covenant eyes protections but if it's not if it's somebody else getting those reports too well then in the back of your mind well what if this isn't a foolproof way around this stuff what if what if I get caught well Right, and, and, and it, it adds. <clears throat> so you can turn the light on and yeah. confess to your wife or whomever, uh, but that doesn't change your habits. Right. You have to begin to work change in your yep. habits. That's where the radical amputation comes in to get rid of things that you don't need that are harmful. But then, for those, uh, you know, we live in a day that I still have to have. I'm twenty four seven. I still have to be accessed by other people. And so I do employ covenant eyes. But if you are just doing it by yourself, it's not going to help you. Yeah. Okay, that's just failure waiting to happen. Uh, and if you don't have your support structure, you have failed already. All right? And I think it's important to understand when you share this information with other people, you are just turning on the light. You're not hiding anything. Mm-hmm. Okay? And, and if you have roaches, well, everybody has roaches. All right? Yep. Maybe I can see them all, but I think it's important for people to understand that the people that you bring into your light, if you, as it were, are there to support you. They are supporting people. They are helping people. Right. Uh, they're not. You know. They're not there to look at your reports and, and beat you down. They're there. They are there. Number one to be a deterrent for you, but also uh, to support you. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have an accountability to it, you again, you're just a failure. Uh, and I don't mean to say that you are a failure. You are, you have just invited failure back into your life yep. because you have to, when you turn on the light, you have to be accountable. Now, you have to turn on the accountability. Mm-hmm. And really, those two things have made the biggest impact in my life. Yeah. So it was. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. And things like this, talking about it, yeah. you know, in a way, speaking 
about my failure, uh, not just to your mom, but to other people. Uh, I preach about this. I, you know, I don't know, you take any church in America today and you will have people who are tempted by this, Mm -hmm. uh, who feel alone. And when you speak and say, Hey, you're not alone, you know, uh, and by the way, you're still a human being. You're still loved of God. You still have value. You know, but uh, there, there is a way. You know, you yeah. can, we can help. Uh, I think when people begin to hear that, uh, if if they are born again, especially born again people, I think really crave that. Yes, I know. I know. I did. Uh, my experience was sitting in a church pew, thinking, "Surely I'm." Like, there's always the kids that, I mean, they're probably not bad kids, but you look at them and you're like, eh, they're probably not, like, if somebody struggles with this stuff, it it's probably them, but other other than this, like, one or two other people, I'm, I'm the, I'm the only one. I have to be the only one. Surely nobody else is as bad as I am. And then it was a bit different for, for me, because my dad is in a leadership position, and, like, Holy cow! If, it, if word gets out, yeah, little Phil uses porn, <gasps> egads, right? And I, I, my, my whole shtick was men getting up and preaching, and their thing was preventative. Like, don't, don't look at it, don't look at it, don't go there. And we surely need that. But my heart was saying, well, he, I'm already in it. How do I get out? And that's that's really the that. I can't stress this enough. This is my burden for this podcast in a, in a broad sense. I don't care if you're Hindu, Muslim, or, or, or Jewish, right, If or atheist. I don't care. If you need help overcoming, if you're sick and tired of riding the wave, I'm, I want to help you. But my burden is for these young men and, and even ladies now growing up in church that just feel so alone and they don't want to bring it up because they're scared of the it's the shame. They're hiding in the shame and the shame wants them there and it holds them there. My goal and my burden is to let these kids know, let these adults know you're not alone. You can overcome this stuff and and to build a community. So on that note, quick ad break. Follow the Overcomers Initiative on Facebook because that's that's where I'm at. I'm working on getting an Instagram. I kind of really hate Instagram, so I may not. I don't know. But please follow the Facebook page, Overcomers Initiative. I'll leave a link in the show notes. I really would love to get a community of like-minded people to keep everyone accountable, share our, our tips, and encourage one another and build this community so we know that we're not alone. I can tell you you're not alone and I can share my story. My dad can get on here and say you're not alone and share his story. But until we get a, a real personal type connection, even if it's just via Facebook, you, you, you may not really feel it like you need to. So please go ahead and follow that page. Uh, this has been a really awesome interview uh, but I do have some uh, – I have Kenny-specific questions on a separate sheet of paper here. So we're going to go ahead and get into that real quick. Probably not going to spend a whole lot of time here, although we may end up because that's just how it goes. 
at this point, I'm all right with that. Um, so one thing that I remember from growing up was anytime we're watching TV or the, or a movie, if there was like a, a smooch of any sort, if there was any kind of even slightly questionable content that came across the screen, you would say eyes and we would all have to duck our heads and cover our eyes. And I remember being at a, we were having some sort of, we were, we were all just kind of hanging out at this, uh, this one fella's house and it was a bunch of people we knew me and my brother, uh, Paul are up at the front watching this movie you and mom are at the back and lo and behold, a questionable scene comes up and from the back in front of everybody, you just yell eyes and you got a few giggles, but like the, the, it was, it was all right. Cause we, we, and we had, we were already ducking our eyes even before you uh, got our attention that way. So my, my, um, I guess my question is what, what was the inspiration for that? Like when, when did that kind of start? Uh, I really can't tell you definitively when it started, uh, but I do remember feeling that uh, we had to be extra vigilant uh, simply because I did not want for my boys what I had to endure. And so, you know, we, we understood that, you know, you know, I was raised on TV Mm-hmm. I was raised on Sesame Street, uh, and <clears throat> I am I am of that generation that was the TV was my babysitter. Yeah. I would wake up alone in the house when I was five. Uh, I would go to school. I would come back home and be alone uh, until my mom got home. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> that was my life. So the television became my my babysitter, and. I just knew we had to be uh, maybe a little overboard with this and uh, those questionable scenes. You know, I just, I didn't want that to become normal for us. I didn't want it to become acceptable for us. And yeah, it caused, uh, it it may have seemed weird (laughs) to some folks, but, uh, you know, I, I don't have any, uh, I'm glad we did it. Yeah. Yeah, I am I am too. Uh so if you had to start over raising sons today. So Kenny and Suzanne have got got married last year and knowing what knowing what you know today and little Philip is is on the way. He's due any minute now and you had to start over raising sons in today's environment, what what kind of measures would you put into place and what would you do differently from, if anything, from what you did in years past? Um, I think we would do what we've always done, or at least what we thought we did. Maybe we didn't do as good a job, but, you know, if you consider the source of where most all of this comes from, right? It is from Hollywood. Mm -hmm. It is from these websites. Um, 
we would limit exposure to that. Uh, we haven't had regular over-the-air TV, wow, since probably before Dan was born. You know, uh, yeah. we haven't had regular commercialized TV because commercials are full of innuendo. Yeah. So we would, you know, <clears throat> we tried to block all of that as best we could. We limited what we were willing to watch. We utilized uh, a thing called um, Clear... Clear, called? Clear Play? Clear Play. Clear yeah. Play. And what Clear Play does is it's a service that you pay for. Uh, <clears throat> and you can watch uh, shows that are filtered. They take out questionable content. They take out questionable words. Uh, you, and you can basically set your what you want removed violence bloodshed whatever like that well we love bloodshed right so we leave all that in yeah. there you know, we, we, we gotta see the Urukai get absolutely <laughs> murked at Helm's Deep that's the absolute necessity right. like if I don't get to see Legolas like basically surfing on a, on a shield and just murking some fellas I'm I I probably wouldn't be the man that I am today had I not seen that yeah. gotta have that gotta have it but yeah uh, <laughs> So we, we instituted those things. Uh, everything in the house has covenant eyes. Uh, everything in the house, uh, you know, I get all of my boys' uh, reports. I used to get your reports. Uh, so uh, that clear play, uh, we govern what we intake. I think really, though, the damaging thing today is the use of a cell phone. And... Mm-hmm our boys didn't actually have cell phones for quite a while. Uh, I don't remember when you first got one, but I think you were in college or was it late high school? It was late high school. I think I was, I don't remember. I, I want to say it was when I find, when I got my license. No, I I think I want to say I, I got it when I got my license and I was like actually driving places. I got a. I bought a smartphone yes. off yes. Uh, one of the ladies in our church when I started working, but that wasn't until my my well, senior year. So if I had to do it again today, um, I would not have a cell phone, a smartphone. I would have a glorified flip phone mm-hmm. or uh, something very simple. Um, Number one, the screen on those is horrible, okay? mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's you can't access much with it. Uh, but you can text, yep. Okay, and for us, all we really needed to do is be able to get in touch with with our boys. Yep. Uh, and so well, that we would probably limit that. And we've been around families that were much more staunch than we were. Uh, and that was really key. You would always limit that kind of, uh, well, avenue of that, that cell phone. Yeah. But, Phil, I think, <clears throat> you know, we can put you in a prison and raise you up that way. That's not really going to prepare you very well. Yeah. I think one of the, what I wish I could go back and do and what I think I would try to do better now is to raise my boys uh, with a God, with a biblical worldview, with the understanding 
of these challenges, but to really raise them more as men. Because I think the the sinister plot behind the pornography, behind the uh, sex uh, trafficking, behind all of this lasciviousness is what the Bible calls it. Mm -hmm. The, The sinister plot is to really remove masculinity, biblical masculinity, from men. Now, you can't take masculinity away from a man, but he can give it to you. Yeah. And that is, that's the sinister thing that takes place behind the scenes. Nobody even recognizes it. Nobody even realizes it's happening. But when, when men go, in particular men, okay, when they go to pornography, uh, what, what they really are looking for is to be validated and affirmed uh, because they either don't get it at home or they were not raised to understand that they are men, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and they have what it takes uh, to be a man and that they are successful as a man. Uh, we, we've tied money to our masculinity. If you make money, you must be a real man. If you have a beautiful wife, you must be a real man. If you have this success, you must be a real man. And you can be poor and still have great integrity and still retain biblical masculinity yep. but we have tied our success to all these things that come and go you know we, we, men, boys have not been raised to be men uh, and have that masculinity attached to God because God made them to be men and whether they have great success whether they have a beautiful life whether they have all these other things, that makes no difference. That never even enters into the equation. So I think what I would try to do is really focus more on the knowledge, raising our kids with the knowledge that God has made you to be a man. Here's what it means to be a man biblically. You know, when you give your time to a woman, you are basically giving her, uh, you, you are giving her your strength, you are giving yourself away, you are allowing her to validate you. Mm-hmm. That, that pornography, that woman who's not even real, okay, that fake image, right, is now has the power to validate you. And isn't that what they do? They compliment you, they tell you how great you are, they tell you how wonderful you are, how satisfying you are. Well, nobody else does that. So they are validating you, and you are giving them permission to be your validation. And in doing so, you are giving away your strength. If you were to instead turn your eyes to the Bible and what the Bible has to say about you, uh, you will begin to be validated by God. You've been seated together with Christ in heavenly places. I mean, there are exceeding great and precious promises given unto us uh, we have a place with God. We are loved of God. We are important and valued by God. Whether some stranger on the internet validates us or not should never even enter the, the equation. Mm-hmm. So I think most young boys today, and I believe we can go back decades, decades, 
They are not validated by their fathers. They are not validated biblically because they've never been taught to be validated biblically. Instead, they have found favor with their mothers. And when you consider the fact that over half of the marriages end in divorce, and this is over the last 50 years, yeah. when you consider the fact that you know so many households don't have a committed father in the household, who validates those kids? Well, mother validates those kids. And so now there's an, you know, I hate to be Freudian, but there's an Oedipus complex that gets developed where these kids now look for that comfort, that feminine comfort, and that's where they find their comfort. That's where they find their validation, and they are not taught to be men. And watching pornography, being a sex addict, is the farthest thing from masculinity that you can get. And but today we have replaced biblical masculinity with a, a sensual masculinity, and it's not masculine at all. So when I when I look at what I might do differently today, I would, you know, I would raise my young men as young men in the sight of God with much more purpose. And I think that would be the key difference. Now we tried to do that. We did try to focus on that. Uh, we were we had men at the table. Our our dinner table conversations were very masculine, <laughs> uh, perhaps in a crude way. But <laughs> you know, uh, I, you know, I, I didn't want my boys to be afraid to be men, yeah, and to own what it means to be a man. And I think most men today. They never had that. They don't even have a clue what I'm talking about. Yeah. And that's that's the sinister aspect that somehow Satan has made it to where these young men, especially westernized young men, have given up their masculinity. And if you need proof, just look to the military. Yep. Uh, look to current social stigma. Uh, you can be a man, but pretend to be a woman and be validated. What? And when you go into the uh, armed services, if it, uh, in particular, I'm not even going to go there because I, I, I live and work amongst a lot of uh, 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 military people. But in the military, uh, now you can be a, a, a man who wants to be a woman and be validated even in the military. Mm-hmm. And so that our military is now promoting and comforting these gender dysphorias and all of these, uh, you know, possibilities. And they're just trying not to offend and they're trying to make sure everybody is equal. And, and all because men have grown up now for decades without any biblical masculinity. They don't know what it is to be a yeah, I'm just going to all their validation from the feminine, yeah. sensual aspect of our culture. You take a, a take what I believe might be your average uh, Islamic individual, or go to Africa where they're not necessarily Islamic either. Try to put any of this on these tribes that still live in thatched uh, shelters. Try to take this. American kind of masculinity and, and see how it prospers over there. Yeah. And all you got to do is do a YouTube search. Yeah. 
uh, on uh, what it means to be a man in the Sudan or what it means to be a man in some of these Zimbabwe, some of these other countries, and they don't have any time for American masculinity. Yeah, I'm just going to poke a hole in the in the top of the can here. I, I'm not going to I'm not going to open it because this that's I don't want to know how deep that rabbit hole goes. But it, it's amazing to me how many of our issues currently societal, political, in a, in a large way, stem from the breakdown of the family unit. That's all I'm going to say on that. Again, I'm just going to poke the hole in the can, and I'm going to put the can away. Uh, but yeah, good. Well, I think you can safely say, uh, and I think anybody with any sense of uh, real right and wrong uh, would have to admit that from that breakdown of the nuclear family, mm-hmm. uh, everything that we're dealing with today is just a symptom of that. Yep. But I would go even further. The absence of God in the family oh, definitely. is the keystone of this whole thing. And without the keystone, the, everything falls apart. Mm-hmm. God was taken out of the family. God was taken out of the schools. God's been taken out of America. Uh, and all we have today is just a natural result of a society that lives as if there is no God. Yep. And we're trying to maybe have some influence and maybe help some uh, people with one particular aspect of this fallout. It's a, it's a it's big job. <laughs> it's a big job. This is where I fall on this. I think it's, we can't fix it. Yeah. All right? It's broken beyond repair. Thimble to an ocean. There is no fixing America, right? Yeah. America is sliding down into Hades, and the road upon which we slide there is paved with bachelor's and doctorate's degrees. Okay. But there are men and women who want help and I believe if they really desire uh, to have help you know we can help those folks mm-hmm. I may not can help a lot of people but I can maybe help one yep I, I forget who wrote it but uh, there was a poem said I'm only one but still I'm one I can't do everything but I can do something and I I think as long I mean goodness it who knows? God told Abraham he would stay his judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah if, if for only 10 righteous people. So, I mean, who knows? And while, while we're alive and while we have breath in our lungs, there's still hope. But, uh, yeah, good stuff. Moving on uh, real fast, just real quickly, what was, what was your reaction when, uh, when I was found out and discovered uh, that I was accessing pornography, and uh, did that did that change uh, your approach to maybe how you talked about it with me? Did it change anything about what kind of safeguards did you have in place, and what what was that whole? I know that's kind of a loaded question, but what was what was it like on your end of the equation there? Yeah, so uh, I was. I remember distinctly being incredibly disappointed uh, 
not so much with you because really there is a natural aspect of what it is to be human male. Mm -hmm. God has made us uh, the way that we are to a certain extent. And curiosity is what it is. You're not wrong for being curious. Okay. Um, I felt responsible in so much that we didn't have any protection set up, uh, you know, on, on what we had in the house. I wish we had prevented that. Okay. So I was disappointed and I was hurt because, uh, here's the thing. When you strike that spark, there's no putting it out. Yep. Uh, you know, I, I don't care what, you just, you just, once you peak the curiosity in a young boy, you can't put that out. You, you might can pull their attention away to do something else, but there's always that curiosity and just having sparked the curiosity and fed that curiosity just a little bit, uh, just inflames the curiosity. Mm-hmm. Now that you, now you realize that there's much, much more to this. And so you, you don't get to shut that off. And yep. I think <clears throat> I was really mad about that because I knew there's no going back. And I knew I didn't really have all the answers I needed to have for that. So we, from that point, we just really tried to be much more diligent, you know, calling out those. When we were watching something, we'd call out those questionable situations. We'd try to limit things. I don't know if that prompted me to spend more time with you. I think that it did. Uh, but I was really just mad at myself. I was really angry with myself over that. Going back to the uh, the you can't put the flame out, I think it was just to kind of drive the point home. I, I want to say it was Andy Wells preached a message, and he had this example of when, when you're born and you begin your existence, life kind of hands you a big thing of keys. And he said, well, you kind of look at life and be like, well, what are these for? And life looks at you and says, all right, you see all those doors over there? It says, you know, porn, drugs, Rock and roll. Go down the list. Those keys fit those doors. Use them wisely. And when you're young, you can just like, okay, whatever. I got these keys. And then because we live in a synchronous world, well, here comes the devil and says, "Hey, man, uh, what you got there? Oh, I got a bunch of keys. What are the keys for? Well, I don't know. Life just kind of handed me the keys. And you see those doors over there. There's that porn, drugs, alcohol, and all this stuff. You know, he says these keys go to those doors. And the devil says, well, have you ever tried any of the keys? I mean, no, not really. I mean, you really might be missing out on something. Ah, maybe you're right. And so you go and you try to, you open the door and the key unlocks the door and you go through the door and it's, with the with this, with porn, you know, you open it and it's amazing and it's terrifying at the same time and you you have this sense of dread. I've done something terribly wrong. This isn't natural. I need to get out. And so you, you, you go back to your safe place and you close the door and you try to lock it anymore, but the lock has changed and you can't unlock, you can't lock that door anymore. And now it's forever open. And that, that's, that's definitely the case. It, I'm to the point now where I've just kind of resigned myself to the fact that I'm I'm probably just going to have to have a brick phone probably for the rest of my days. And that's 
it, it is what it is. I feel like it's a good thing. Just even if I didn't have an issue with pornography, I think it'd probably be a, a positive thing for me to do anyway. But, you know, I, I have to annoy my wife to update apps. I can't download any apps. I have to have her navigate for me or I'll, I'll download Google Maps temporarily. And I, I can't have Google Maps on my phone because you can access the web through that and get around covenant eyes. And so I, I can't have that. And it's, it, it, it is a very true statement that once the fire is lit, there it, it, you can't put it out. It's worse than a mattress. It, it will not go out. So... <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm, well, and it's because there is an aspect of you mm-hmm. that God made men for women. Okay? Mm-hmm. And th- that's in your DNA. You know, of course, today people would argue with that, but from God's perspective, that is exactly how he made men. He made men for the woman and the woman for the man. And so, you know, there, we, have, we are not just having to deal with the outside influences, there is an internal mechanism within us. And so let me say this. Pornography lives in darkness, okay? You come yeah. out into the light, you, 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 you have to agree that you're going to be a different person. You, you just have to just say, I'm going to be a different person. Some of the things that I'm going to have to deal with as this new me are going to hurt, mm-hmm. Okay. They're going to hurt, but I'm going to be a different person. Now, you have to have good motivation for that. In my case, I was offending God and not being fair to my wife. But now, here's the other side of that. My wife now knows that there are challenges with me, okay? And so the Lord has made it to where I do get validation from a woman so long as that woman is my wife, mm-hmm. it's, it's not just a fake person on the on the web. It's my wife, and that kind of validation uh, requires me to be vulnerable to her. Yeah. Okay. And there is, you know, some people, some men would think, okay, well, that's just weakness. No, God has designed this thing to where that is a strength for me. Because now my wife, uh, who I'm now vulnerable to, uh, takes basically my vulnerability and turns around and uh, validates me. And and instead of, uh, you know, the pornography woman will say how great I am and how uh, satisfying I am and whatnot. And, and, And that might make me feel good for a moment, but then later on it feels horrible. Right? Yeah. She's not my wife. But when my wife does that and my wife validates me, now what I've done is I've, I've fulfilled purpose that God has given me. And in turn, my wife validates me and I take care of her needs. And so that match that takes place within the, the, the marriage, uh, all of the you know, the uh, the difficulties, all the struggles. I mean, God says, hey, you're married. Now you guys get to work this out. Yeah. But in so doing, when I validate, when I, when my validation comes from my wife and I begin to then be able to honestly meet her needs, the more that we are uh, 
the more that we are engaged in that way, we become friends. Mm -hmm. In fact, we become best friends. Now, what I think a lot of wives need to understand is that uh, that sexual drive on the part of her husband is not, just because he told you about it, all right, that doesn't mean it's over. Uh, it's kind of like we still have to change this tire and the car is still moving down the road, okay? Yeah. So you still have to work through that. And I had a, a friend just the other day uh, trying to get particular about these things. He said, I think if a wife would understand that if she were to uh, have sex with her husband twice a week, I think most of these other problems would go away. And what the reason why he said that is because uh, the topic came up of how often do men think about sex. Mm-hmm. And men think about sex all the time. If there is a man that does not think about sex all the time, I don't know what to say, but, you know, it's kind of like, That's a little weird, that is yeah. so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, wish, I wish it could be like that for all of us. Yeah. But uh, men think about sex all the time. Obviously, women do not. All right. Uh, But if a wife could somehow try to uh, engage physically with her husbands for physical intimacy, and and I had to think about this, if a a wife did that twice a week, well, I think that would change a lot. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there, but uh, it made a lot of sense to me. Well, we're we're pushing on on two hours here. So I just got a couple more questions and then we'll, I'll let you go and go do tiny things. Yeah. Uh, So what the, and these are both going to be kind of loaded questions, but what advice or challenge encouragement, if you had like a sentence or two to just, if you had 30 seconds to tell a, a, a father raising sons in this environment, if you had one piece of advice or challenge or encouragement for them, what, what would that be? This is going to sound a little off topic, but I believe it is the heart of the issue for most men today. Daddies want to be daddies. Uh, and for a little while, daddy is on the same level as God. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and daddies want to be heroes. Daddies don't want to be seen as full of mistakes. Daddy's, you know, uh, one of the things I promised myself I would do is apologize when I was wrong to my boys. And I had to do that over and over and over again. I think when you put, uh, try to see where all this comes from, I think at the heart is this idea of a relationship between fathers and sons. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's a couple of books I've read. One in particular, uh, I forget the gentleman's name, but it's called Wild at Heart. Oh, with John Eldridge. And, uh, or by John Eldridge. John Eldridge, yeah. that's right. I think one of the things that I learned the most from him in that book is about the relationship between him and his dad. Dads need to be the instigator of a relationship between them and their sons, if that son is going to become a godly, a biblically masculine young man, it will only happen because his daddy led him into that. Dads have to lead 
their sons into a godly relationship, uh, a biblically masculine position in their life, uh, young men need to know from their fathers that they are young men, that they have what it takes, that they are going to be successful. And the reason why they have what it takes and that they are going to be successful is because they are godly young men. You know, and through that relationship, daddies will be able to shield off and defend their sons from these ridiculous ideas that money means that you're a godly man or that sex means you're a godly man or a powerful uh, uh, a life means you're a godly man. None of that stuff matters. Uh, some of the poorest people on the planet have been the people with the most integrity. The, the, the you know the most godly money had nothing to do with it promiscuity mm-hmm. uh, had nothing to do with it that's not where your strength comes from and daddies need to have the relationship with their children that leads them into that understanding where does your masculinity come from well it doesn't come from women you know <laughs> when we began praying for our boys before you guys were born, we began praying. And one of the things we prayed was that God would give you a spouse who would love God first. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's kind of how we approached it. Now, we weren't as successful as I had hoped we were, but in a large, well, in a, let me just say that we were more successful with you than my dad ever was with me. So and we something successful there. Yeah. Good, good stuff. Um, last question, kind of on the same on the same vein. Uh, what advice or challenge, encouragement would you give to anyone who's listening that that's in they're in the middle of it? They've just woke up to I I really need to quit this stuff. What, what would your challenge or encouragement to them be? The two most important things a person can do today, number one is to make a decision to turn on the light. It's kind of like when you're little, you don't want to jump into the deep end. You're, you're fine in the shallow end, okay? But you don't mm-hmm. want to jump in the deep end. But you know what? You can tread water in the deep end. It's just a little deeper. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't really know that until you jump in. Uh, you need to turn on the light. You need to go ahead and, and just make the decision to turn on the light. Expose yourself to your pastor. Expose yourself to your wife or whomever. Uh, you know, I used to really think about that. Uh, and I would say, well, you know, I don't just want to tell anybody. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. You know, you want to tell somebody you can count on, somebody you trust. Yeah. Uh, and not telling anybody because you don't think you can trust them. I mean, that's just an excuse. And I've got excuses. I've got a pile of them. If you need one, you know, just ask me. I'll give you one. But if you don't want to tell somebody because you don't think you can trust them, that means you're not looking hard enough. Yeah. You need to expose this. You need to get out in the light. The second thing is, is you need to be accountable. Don't be afraid to be held accountable. Okay. And guess what? If you're accountable to somebody and you make a mistake and they bring it up, 
That's not the end of the world. In fact, that's what they're supposed to do. And believe it or not, that pain of discipline will begin to lessen because when you begin to practice this and you actually step into the light and you bring people in to make you accountable, all of a sudden this thing begins to work. And you're like, holy cow, it's working. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, you'll have to pardon my uh, allurement here, but then is when the magic of this thing begins to reveal itself. All of a sudden, you begin to understand that I think I really can be free from this. I think I really can know what it is to live without pornography. And all of a sudden, the hope of a life without pornography begins to grow. You see, when you're stuck in it, you don't think that way. You think, I'll never get out of this. Mm-hmm. What can I do to get out of this? You, you can't get out. But you turn on the lights and you become accountable. And all of a sudden, the reality that, hey, this is working begins to take place. And, uh, you know, and of course, to your point, those are the two things I think that are most important. Uh, But people that are struggling, uh, they don't want to make a plan. They don't know how to make a plan. So you turn on the light and you tell somebody and you become accountable. Then you can begin to make a plan and you really do need a plan. Yeah. If you, you know, you don't, uh, if, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Yep. That's <laughs> just, just where it is. Well, Dad, this has been, or, or Kenny, I don't know. I'll just call you Dad because whatever. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. weird if you call me Kenny. Yeah, it is, it is a little bit weird. But this yeah, has I been. I'll call you Bartholomew. I'm glad you didn't name me Bartholomew or Lamangelo or Arangelo. Yeah. Glad I glad I was not named those. Well, this has been a, as a Bill and Ted would say, a most excellent adventure, uh, an interview. Thanks so much for taking the time. I know we, you know, I was not expecting this thing to go as long as it did. I'm glad that it did. I'm glad we got to talk about everything that we got to talk about and flesh out. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, and. From the Overcomers Initiative to those who are listening, thank you for listening. We'll see you again next time. Hey friend, thank you for listening to this episode of the Overcomers Initiative podcast. If you'd like to listen to more episodes, you can find the Overcomers Initiative on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to hit that follow button so you can keep up with all new episodes. And while you're at it, would you please consider following the Overcomers Initiative on Facebook, where you can engage with a community of like-minded overcomers. If you would like to reach out, please feel free to message me on Facebook or email me using the address in the show notes. Again, thanks for listening, and until next time, keep up that good fight.